Chapter Forty of Howard's End. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. Howard's End by E. M. Forster. Chapter Forty. Leonard, he would figure at length in a newspaper report, but that evening he did not count for much. The foot of the tree was in shadow, since the moon was still hidden behind the house. But above, to right, to left, down the long meadow the moonlight was streaming. Leonard seemed not a man, but a cause. Perhaps it was Helen's way of falling in love, a curious way to Margaret, whose agony and whose contempt of Henry were yet imprinted with his image. Helen forgot people. They were husks that had enclosed her emotion. She could pity— or sacrifice herself, or have instincts. But had she ever loved in the noblest way, where man and woman, having lost themselves in sex, desire to lose sex itself in comradeship? Margaret wondered, but said no word of blame. This was Helen's evening. Troubles enough lay ahead of her—the loss of friends and of social advantages, the agony, the supreme agony of motherhood, which is even yet not a matter of common knowledge. For the present let the moon shine brightly, and the breezes of the spring blow gently, dying away from the gale of the day, and let the earth, who brings increase, bring peace. Not even to herself dare she blame Helen. She could not assess her trespass by any moral code. It was everything or nothing. Morality can tell us that murder is worse than stealing, and group most sins in an order all must approve— but it cannot group Helen. The surer its pronouncements on this point, the surer may we be that morality is not speaking. Christ was evasive when they questioned him. It is those that cannot connect who hasten to cast the first stone. This was Helen's evening, one at what cost and not to be marred by the sorrows of others. Of her own tragedy, Margaret never uttered a word. "'One isolates,' said Helen slowly. "'I isolated Mr. Wilcox from the other forces that were pulling Leonard downhill. "'Consequently I was full of pity, and almost of revenge. "'For weeks I had blamed Mr. Wilcox only. "'And so, when your letters came—' "'I need never have written them,' sighed Margaret. "'They never shielded Henry. "'How hopeless it is to tidy away the past, even for others.' I did not know that it was your own idea to dismiss the vasts. Looking back, that was wrong of me. Looking back, darling, I know that it was right. It is right to save the man whom one loves. I am less enthusiastic about justice now. But we both thought you wrote at his dictation. It seemed the last touch of his callousness. Being very much wrought up by this time— and Mrs. Bast was upstairs. I had not seen her, and had talked for a long time to Leonard. I had snubbed him for no reason, and that should have warned me I was in danger. So when the notes came, I wanted us to go to you for an explanation. He said that he guessed the explanation. He knew of it, and you mustn't know. I pressed him to tell me. He said no one must know. It was something to do with his wife. Right up to the end we were Mr. Bast and Miss Schlegel. 
I was going to tell him that he must be frank with me when I saw his eyes, and guessed that Mr. Wilcox had ruined him in two ways, not one. I drew him to me. I made him tell me. I felt very lonely myself. He is not to blame. He would have gone on worshipping me. I want never to see him again, though it sounds appalling. I wanted to give him money and feel finished. Oh, Meg, the little that is known about these things! She laid her face against the tree. The little, too, that is known about growth. Both times it was loneliness, and the night, and panic afterwards. Did Leonard grow out of Paul? Margaret did not speak for a moment. So tired was she that her attention had actually wandered to the teeth, the teeth that had been thrust into the tree's bark to medicate it. From where she sat she could see them gleam. She had been trying to count them. "'Leonard is a better growth than madness,' she said. "'I was afraid that you would react against Paul until you went over the verge.' "'I did react until I found poor Leonard. I am steady now. I shan't ever like your Henry, dearest Meg, or even speak kindly about him. But all that blinding hate is over. I shall never rave against Wilcox's any more. I understand how you married him, and you will now be very happy." Margaret did not reply. "'Yes,' repeated Helen, her voice growing more tender. "'I do at last understand.' Except Mrs. Wilcox, dearest, no one understands our little movements. Because in death—I agree. Not quite. I feel that you and I and Henry are only fragments of that woman's mind. She knows everything. She is everything. She is the house, and the tree that leans over it. People have their own deaths as well as their own lives. And even if there is nothing beyond death— we shall differ in our nothingness. I cannot believe that knowledge such as hers will perish with knowledge such as mine. She knew about realities. She knew when people were in love, though she was not in the room. I don't doubt that she knew when Henry deceived her. "'Good night, Mrs. Wilcox,' called a voice. "'Oh, good night, Miss Avery.' "'Why should Miss Avery work for us?' Helen murmured. Why, indeed? Miss Avery crossed the lawn and merged into the hedge that divided it from the farm. An old gap, which Mr. Wilcox had filled up, had reappeared, and her track through the dew followed the path that he had turfed over, when he improved the garden and made it possible for games. "'This is not quite our house yet,' said Helen. "'When Miss Avery called, I felt we are only a couple of tourists.' We shall be that everywhere, and for ever. But affectionate tourists! But tourists who pretend each hotel is their home. I can't pretend very long, said Helen. Sitting under this tree one forgets, but I know that to-morrow I shall see the moon rise out of Germany. Not all your goodness can alter the facts of the case. Unless you will come with me. Margaret thought for a moment. In the past year she had grown so fond of England that to leave it was a real grief. Yet what detained her? No doubt Henry would pardon her outburst, 
and go on blustering and muddling into a ripe old age. But what was the good? She had just as soon vanish from his mind. "'Are you serious in asking me, Helen? Should I get on with your moniker?' "'You would not, but I am serious in asking you.' Still no more plans now, and no more reminiscences. They were silent for a little. It was Helen's evening. The present flowed by them like a stream. The tree rustled. It had made music before they were born, and would continue after their deaths. But its song was of the moment. The moment had passed. The tree rustled again. Their senses were sharpened, and they seemed to apprehend life. Life passed. The tree nestled again. "'Sleep now,' said Margaret. The peace of the country was entering into her. It has no commerce with memory, and little with hope. Least of all is it concerned with the hopes of the next five minutes. It is the peace of the present, which passes understanding. Its murmur came, now, and now once more as they trod the gravel, and now as the moonlight fell upon their father's sword. They passed upstairs kissed, and amidst the endless iterations fell asleep. The house had enshadowed the tree at first, but as the moon rose higher the two disentangled, and were clear for a few moments at midnight. Margaret awoke and looked into the garden. How incomprehensible that Leonard Bast should have won her this night of peace! Was he also part of Mrs. Wilcox's mind? End of chapter 40